Hi, my name's Victoria. Um, I am a mother of four children. Um, I have been married to my husband, Christopher, for eight years this December. Um, I am a millennial woman um, that is on a healing journey while also trying to be a mindful parent um and the reason for me starting this podcast is that I have so much to articulate um and to share with the world about what I've learned on my journey this far and I oftentimes will see misinformation or misguided advice um, that's given on the internet. I know. I'm one of those types that is like, well, actually, that's probably not a good idea. Um, And you can only say so much in a small paragraph while maintaining the attention of your audience and actually getting through to anybody. And I just wanted to create a place where I can discuss um, these topics and ideas um, with other people and to be able to share all of the knowledge that I've accumulated because um, I am also neurodivergent and one of my special interests is abuse and trauma and healing and parenting Um, and they all go hand in hand. (laughs) They all affect one another And they are all very, very relevant um, in today's society, Um, specifically around this time where I would say there has been an awakening of people to patterns and behaviors um, that are harmful to ourselves and to others around us. Um, And it's actually really beautiful to see all these people getting mad. Normally people are like, "Uh, what? It would not be a beautiful thing to see people getting mad. But I think it's beautiful because anger is an emotion which has a purpose. And its purpose, a lot of the times, can be love. When you love yourself and the people around you so much that you see their mistreatment, and you are angry, (laughs) that is love. That is your love for yourself or these other people that is so strong that you are coming up to bat to defend them, (laughs) you know? And I think that's really beautiful that we're starting to love each other (laughs) Uh, because in today's world so often you know in the media and social media even you see so much hate people just hate people and you know there's that classic hurt people hurt people phrase but it's true um these generations just pass down their trauma like a baton and just keep hitting each other with it and it makes the world such a dark and sad place um You know, with the abuse and the violence and the shootings and just the way we talk to other humans. Like, we've never been taught respect, Um, which is is really ironic because you will hear some of the older generations, um, your Gen X and your boomers, uh, complaining that these younger generations have no respect. But in reality their generations are severely lacking in respect towards other people. Our generations tend to actually be lacking respect for ourselves. Um, But you kind of almost have a split. About half of us um, have no self-respect, no boundaries. We're willing to bend over backwards for everyone just to keep everybody else happy and ignore our own needs. Um, And the other half, They either have found their worth or they're just, you know, ignorant and a little bit narcissistic, which narcissism is actually, um, that's actually developed from a survival mechanism. Narcissism actually has value, which 
that one was hard for me because I've been hurt by a lot of narcissists in my life. Um, but I also know there have been times where I've seen um, a behavior of mine that I would call narcissistic. Um, but it is almost always that wounded animal defense. Uh, narcissists have been hurt so much in their lives that it is hard for them to see anyone out there as anything but an aggressor. They see the world in such a dark view that everyone out there is is quite literally out to get them. So they get defensive, they get mean, they try to make you seem like the bad guy. Um, But it's often because somebody else was the bad guy from them and now their brain is scared and it, it lashes out and it's not healthy or good, but you just... You, it's okay to have empathy for them as long as you're still loving yourself and um, having boundaries, um, which a boundary may even be um, no contact, you know, cutting off as uh, some people would like to call it. I wouldn't call it cutting off. Um, you're not cutting off that person. That person cut off themselves. Um, almost every single time I hear, you know, my, my, uh, my daughter doesn't let me see my grandbabies or, you know, my, my, uh, my baby mama's bitter, bitter. She doesn't let me see the kids or vice versa. My baby, my baby daddy's bitter and he won't come around the kids, whatever it is. When we see no contact, a lot of the times that no contact was not initiated by the person who said, you know, that's it, we're not having this contact anymore. It was actually initiated by the person who crossed the boundary that was set. You know, that person set a boundary. They said, you know, hey, if you do this again, that's it. This is a boundary. And if you don't respect it, then you cannot be a part of my life anymore. Um, People will call that cutting off to deflect and be dismissive of the boundary that was crossed. And be narcissistic and make themselves out to be the victim when in fact they are the perpetrator. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, we just see that so much um, in those relationships. And it's, it's sad, but, um, but above everything else in this world, you need to, you need to know that you can only control yourself and your own emotions. and everything else is going to be okay. <laughs> so let's get into mindful parenting. First of all, what is mindful parenting? Mindful parenting is choosing parenting to be child-centered versus parent-centered. Most parenting books that you will read are very parenting-centered. They will tell you what to do as a parent when you see XYZ behavior done against you. You will see a parent told, when this happens, this is what you must do. When a child is behaving a certain way, this is what you should do. It's very focused on you, 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 you as the parent, this is this, what you, blah, blah, blah. And that is not helpful parenting. Even in mindful parenting books, that's not helpful parenting. Helpful parenting to truly guide your child and be mindful of your parenting is child-centered, and it's empathy-based, and it is scientifically based. (laughs) Children's brains are just developing, and they cannot regulate their emotions, um, and they cannot make a lot of conscious decisions to behave certain ways. Um, Most of their behaviors are reflection of an unmet need. So when you look at a behavior from a viewpoint of your child and say, hmm, my child is doing this behavior. What is the need that is not being met? How can I meet their needs? Um, And that is really the root of mindful parenting. Um, And there's a lot of things that encompass that, but I think really that's a pretty good way to summarize it. Um, Informed consent and autonomy are above all um, two of the biggest uh, the biggest topics in mindful parenting that I think need to be the center of it um, when you're doing child-based parenting um, informed consent and autonomy go hand in hand with that um, 
Obviously, this can be tricky with a child. We understand informed consent and autonomy with adults, but even if we don't, all informed consent and autonomy means is that you are asking somebody about what their preferences are and how you are going to interact in their life and to them. So, you know, at a doctor's appointment, um, informed consent can be as simple as, um, I need to use my stethoscope to listen to your heart and your lung sounds. May I place my stethoscope on your chest? Or can you lift your shirt? And may I place my stethoscope here? And that is something that is not practiced. <laughs> you will see very often in the medical field, they're very hurried and rushed. Um, and, you know, just trying to get in and out and do my job. You know, I just got to get through this day. You know, the medical field is burnt out. We will definitely probably be discussing that as I am a ex, ex-medical field worker, um, but also a current nursing student. Um, so I'm going to be re-entering soon. But uh, the pandemic happened um, the day I had my daughter, my one and a half year old, um, and I did not go back to my job. And I will probably get into that in a later podcast. Um, but in the medical field, it is not often practiced, but it's something that we can grasp. Um, that's a pretty easy concept. People understand informed consent better in a professional setting like that. Um, for instance, also when you're having surgery, <laughs> informed consent looks like this is the risks of your surgery. These are the benefits of your surgery. Do you want this surgery? Sign here. That's one that we've all experienced, you know, with any medical procedure. If you had a medical procedure done, they have you fill out paperwork that says you understand what the heck you're getting into. And even if you don't understand it, you often sign it not knowing. That actually is an informed consent. <laughs> Uh, that is un uninformed consent, and that can be really dangerous. Um, and you actually see that all the time, and people sue for that all the time. Um, but when you sign that paper, you legally um, sign over a lot of your rights to informed consent. Um, so, you know, that's something to be mindful of. Uh, you should probably read what you're signing. Um, but in parenting, this looks like um, giving your child as much information as you can that's developmentally appropriate to make decisions that they developmentally can make. Um, and in babies, this can be really, really tricky. Um, and oftentimes we think that babies can't have any informed consent, any decisions, nothing, no autonomy. You're a baby, tough. <laughs> like, And that's, again, not mindful parenting. But I see that a lot in gentle parenting groups where they think that they need to shelter their kid from absolutely every external stimulus that might upset them. And it's just not good parenting. Um, it's certainly not mindful parenting. But uh, to get into what this can look like with small children, um, we'll start with babies. Babies cannot give informed consent to care tasks. Care tasks include hair brushing, teeth brushing, bathing, trimming their nails, changing their diaper. Um, but there is way to give more autonomy and make those instances when they cannot have that autonomy and informed consent less traumatizing. Because whenever you have your consent taken away from you, it is traumatizing. You might not realize it. You might be in shock. You might repress it. You might, you know, deflect, dissociate, whatever your trauma response is. You might have a response that doesn't look like a typical I'm pissed about it response, but you are probably still having a response unless you're dead. <laughs> so um, in babies, ways that we can give them more autonomy over their situations when you're changing a diaper, for example, um, you can't ask a child, do you want me to change your diaper? They're not going to know what you're saying. They're going to hear your sweet little voice and then they're going to get their diaper taken off and a cold wipey or rag, you know, whatever, if you cloth diaper, uh, wiped on their bottom, they're going to be freezing, they're going to be screaming, crying, kicking you, you're going to be holding them down while you try to do this, so you don't make a mess. Um, and overall, it's going to be a very negative experience for this child. And with mindful parenting, we know that um, the brain grows so quickly, and makes so many more connections in this first five years of life, than they do the rest of their entire lifespan, that we know it's important to make sure 
that we're giving them a healthy start. We're giving them as many positive interactions as we can. Um, and this can be specifically very challenging in the neurodiverse community. Um, I read a statistic the other day. I swear I almost cried. <laughs> I'm a Capricorn moon. I don't cry. Uh, <laughs> we will probably get into astrology in these podcasts. I'm sorry. It is one of my passions. I love astrology. I think it explains a lot about the world. Um, and if you don't believe in astrology, that's fine for me. I love it and I will continue to research it and make sense of the world and understand how that affects my relationships with other people and understand how I can live in my best alignment with my true self. Um, because above all else, um, mindful parenting is honoring yourself and your child. So anyway, back to the informed consent of diaper change. Um, this can look like, hi, baby. Mommy's going to change your diaper. Um, here is something for you to play with. Oh, hi, honey. And then, you know, you take your diaper off. You get your wet rag. You um, then distract them. If they, a lot of the time, especially when they're older babies, my daughter's one and a half, so she'll do this. She'll reach her hands down there. What are you doing? You know, what's this butt cream you're putting on me? What's, you know, I want to touch it. I want to put my hands here. Ooh, poop. I would like to touch that. Like, ah, don't touch that. (laughs) You know, you don't want your kid touching that. You don't want them eating that too because you know it goes right to the mouth. (laughs) Mouths are the way babies learn. That is just like a fact. They have so many more um, receptors in their mouth that are for sensory experiences at that age and so they quite literally do most of their learning by putting things in their mouth um but also that is disgusting and we cannot let them eat their poop because they will get sick because we know there are bad bacterias in your intestine that you do not want in your mouth uh anyway moving on babies um when they do reach down there um you don't want to hold them down you know oh come on chastise them they're babies they don't understand what is going on so you just redirect redirect is one of the best tools that i think is pretty widely talked about in the mindfulness community um in the gentle parenting community redirection is simply they are paying attention to one thing you are going to distract them because you cannot persuade them (laughs) and this is just simply because a lot of children with the the things we're trying to redirect them away from, they can't make that informed decision. They don't have that informed consent yet that they can safely make a decision that isn't going to hurt them, you know? And so above all, safety is the most important thing when you have a child that is small and cannot make those decisions and uh, does not have the brain power to do that yet. We have to make them for them, but we don't have to traumatize them. So redirection is you're focusing on this. I want you to focus on this instead. Look over here. Look over here. It's like when you're taking a picture of your kid and you, you know, you get your phone out, you get your camera out, whatever, and come over here, look over here. You want their attention so that they're looking at the camera and they're not looking at whatever else that, you know, maybe they're looking at the prop that you have, the little bunny you have next to them, or um, you don't want them just like, you know, running off of the little photography stage that you've set up for your little Instagram picture. (laughs) Um, It is just like that with mindful parenting and redirection. We just want their attention on the things that we want them to focus on um, to keep them safe. So when my daughter is getting her diaper changed, I will give her a hairbrush. And I'll say, baby, I'm not going to use my children's names in these podcasts because I just know that this is going to be on the internet. So I just don't know how that's going to affect them one day. And I would just kind of like to keep that separate for now. Um, I might change my mind later about that. But for now, I just think it's better to err on the side of caution. So I'll just say baby or child or sibling and use other descriptors um, to talk about my children. I don't just call my baby baby. maybe sometimes I don't know probably not though um so baby you know here's your hairbrush brush your hair brush your hair baby oh there you go and then I might blow on her belly or tickle her toes or just put my hand on the side of her face and say sweet things to her like oh you're my sweet baby um you are so wonderful whatever it is sometimes I'll sing to them I'm one of those moms I love singing to my kids But all of that is drawing her attention away from down there where I don't want her touching while I'm changing her 
to up here where I want her focusing so that we can be connected and we can make this an experience that she doesn't have to be traumatized from <laughs> and doesn't have that negative um, experience. So then, you know, you're done and that's, that's all there is to it. Um, and I think too often, even with mindful parents and gentle parents, we just get in the routine of things. We just want to hurry up. And it's like, oh, this is so mentally draining. Motherhood, fatherhood, parenthood is draining. It's so exhausting, especially in the world we live in. We have so many more expectations than those older generations had. You know, social media, we're constantly on all the time. We constantly are available to people all the time because we have all these connections and it can be exhausting. And it can be really hard to say no, especially if you grew up in an environment where um, you had a traumatic childhood and you developed that fawn response that said, it is not safe to be ourselves. We have to make everyone like us. We have to say yes to everything so that we don't get hit or yelled at or whatever else it was that our brain told us that we did not want and was not safe. So then we carry that into adulthood and we say yes to all these things and we burn ourselves out and then we have nothing left to give ourselves or our children. <laughs> um, so I know know that connection can be hard, but we just need to slow ourselves down and ground ourselves into this present moment and think about right now, this experience that I'm having with my child, how can I add value to their life? How can I um, connect with them? Connection makes the brain stronger and healthier. You want strong, healthy, smart little kids. It's not by, you know, drilling flashcards into them. It's not by practicing handwriting at the age of two. It, <laughs> it is making connection. That is what is going to make a smart child. Um, and a smart and healthy child. Because, you know, your child might be book smart, but if your child's emotionally, you know, inept, they are going to struggle so much in life. And why would you want your child to struggle? I just... You, you should not want that. <laughs> if you do, you're at the wrong podcast. <laughs> but anyway, so mindful parenting is just, you know, letting them have that informed consent and autonomy um, and taking your child and putting them in the center of the parenting and using empathy to think about how is my child feeling right now? How is their behavior an unmet need that I can help fulfill? Or I can at least help them process and deal with. Um, and that can be really hard, though. <laughs> and like, in, it, I'm, I'm saying all these things, but it's a lot harder to practice it than to preach it. <laughs> um, and again, a lot of that is just because we grew up in these environments that were traumatic and our brains aren't the perfect way they were made. Our brains were made perfect. We were made perfect. We were made sensitive. We were made caring and loving and connection seeking. I can't remember what the thing I was watching the other day, but they were talking about how we are carrier mammals um, and that we try to be, I don't remember I don't remember it was like container animals or whatever it was. It was some zoologist or person that was talking about it. Um, it was a little video that I was watching and she was talking about how we have trained ourselves, you know, for this nine to five that these babies need to be independent as soon as they can. They need to be away from others as soon as they can. They need to develop that independence. But like that is putting so much focus on, you know, our child being independent and being away from us and, it is putting no focus on the connection and nurturing and love that they need. They're more like kangaroos. <laughs> we are more like kangaroos than we are like, you know, sea turtles. We are not supposed to just leave our turtles on the sand and then go swim off to sea and never see them again. That is not how we are made. That's not how we're designed. We are designed to have our babies on our backs, have our babies close to our chest. They should be near us for like that first year of life. And like that can be very triggering for a lot of people because I know specifically in the U.S. Um, we don't have paid maternity leave at all. Nobody has it. If, if you think you have it, you don't. Um, you might pay into it, but that's not paid maternity leave. That's you paid into giving yourself a maternity leave. <laughs> and like, while you might think like, oh, it's at least a little bit better of a deal, it's a shitty deal. <laughs> if you had a baby, 
you deserve rest. You deserve time to bond and nurture this child, to raise them up. Um, You deserve that. You might not think you do. And a lot of people will not think that you do. Um, But it is a fact. You deserve to be able to spend time with your baby. And that is also really saddening because I know that we don't. We don't get that time. We have um, obligations. We have bills to pay. And it's really sad, but we we do deserve that time. We should fight for that more. (laughs) And I know that there is a lot of... um, there's a lot of revolutions going on behind the scenes right now, these social movements um, that are really pushing for these things. And I, I personally would love to see mothers be able to have that connection and time spent with their babies. But um, right now, you know, if you don't have that, it's even more important to make every connection that you do have with that baby very important and special and give them that secure attachment that they need in that first year of life. Anyway, so moving on, um, another part of mindful parenting, another aspect. Um, so we know what, you know, giving babies autonomy kind of looks like. It's redirecting, creating happy, pleasant experiences, trying to reduce any unpleasantness. So no sleep training, stuff like that. That's all bad advice. Um, that harms the baby's brain. Um, any form of sleep training, (laughs) um, at least all the books that I've read, I'll tell you the best advice I have for sleep training. Um, sleep by your baby. <laughs> the first several, whatever, you'll kind of know when your baby starts to need you less. They will show that they're exploring and they're feeling a little bit more confident, being independent away from you. Um, when babies are really little, you know, you hand them to somebody else, you know, maybe grandma wants to hold them when they're, you know, a month or two old or whatever, and they cry because that's not mom. That's not safe. That's not familiar. I need to be right near the person that has kept me safe and alive. It is a safety mechanism. The babies cry and need us. Um, but once, you know, they're getting close to like four, five, six, seven, eight months, you know, every child is different when they start to develop that independence, but you'll notice a shift and the baby wants to explore and they might even push you away. You might try to snuggle your baby and they're like, eh. I want to go do this. I don't want snuggles. (laughs) And they'll go explore. And so then you start seeing that baby having autonomy. This is the first experiences they're having with being able to make decisions. And that is so empowering for the young mind. That is so empowering. And these are the skills that will carry them throughout the rest of their life. You might not think the first couple years are important, but they are so important. Um, they are so important for child development. Um, and we've proven it time and time again. That's why, you know, a poor example, but the government here um, gives free preschool to all kids. I think the age is like three to four or something like that. Um, but yeah, you just like, you just fill out a form or whatever and you can get free preschool here. Um, it's not quality education <laughs> for um, everyone, but for a lot of parents, um, that, you know, aren't mindful parenting and whatever, that is actually really giving them an edge. And they've proven that because those kids need connection. They need that fostering um, of autonomy and independence. And a lot of times they won't get that at home, but they will get that at preschool (laughs) because a kid has to be independent at preschool. They only have one teacher. They can only pay one person. They don't have a lot of money. Uh, Well, you know, they have plenty of money, but they just don't want to pay their teachers enough and they don't want to hire enough of them to deal with the workload, but that's fine. It's a whole other issue that we'll get into probably in another podcast. Um, But um, we've proven that those first few years when, you know, that child does have that education, they do have that autonomy, that literally helps them be more successful in life. Like that literally raises their chances of being more successful at life. And why would you not want that? So back to these years being so important for autonomy and informed consent. Um, So in a toddler, this is going to look a little bit different than a baby. You know, now they can start to maybe say some words. They can understand things you're saying. And I just want to let you know, they understand a lot more than you think. If you're talking to your child all the time, which you should be, (laughs) that is, is... that's that's probably like one of the basic things like you should be talking to your child all the time and explaining things all the time when you're constantly explaining things to your child you're constantly labeling so you're giving a child a object a 
you know, person, whoever, and you're giving it a word that associates with it. Um, and that child is making those, um, those connections that that is what that means. They're, you know, they're literally learning definitions from you. Um, so if you don't say the names of things all the time, you can't be surprised when your child doesn't know what it is. Um, you are their teacher, <laughs> which, you know, that's why parenting is such a big, uh, responsibility. Um, because we're literally shaping these minds that will set them up for the rest of their lives. And that's so, that's so humbling. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of a burden too. You're like, oh gosh, that's a lot of pressure. But, <laughs> but trust me, if you love your child and your parenting is honoring you and your child and respecting them and yourself and you love them, you're doing great. <laughs> um, Cause we're human, right? And we make mistakes and it's okay to make mistakes. And that's another thing that uh, is really important on your parenting journey. And I'll probably get into that in a whole nother podcast today. I just really want to focus on the basics of mindfulness um, and gentle parenting. Um, but there is so much more that goes on behind the scenes. And if you aren't properly loving yourself, you are going to get burnt out so fast. Honey, you were going to get burnt out so fast. And I did this. I made this mistake. And I had so much anxiety and depression. And I would have panic attacks. And I would just, you know, not want to get up off the couch. And I just had no energy. And I was just exhausted. And I didn't realize it's because I was choosing to disrespect myself daily by not making myself a priority. <laughs> And I only really started doing this this year, which is really sad, I guess. I think, I think, yeah, that is the word I want to use for it. it. It's sad to me to know that I missed out on so much time when I could have spent that time being happier. But I always have to be kind to myself and know that I was doing the best I could at the time. And that's all we can really expect out of ourselves or anyone else. And I promise you that even if it doesn't seem like it, everybody around you is literally doing their best with the best that they have. Like literally, nobody is choosing to be an a-hole. Believe it or not, <laughs> that's a hard one. Um, but I truly believe that we're all on this journey and we're right exactly on the timeline where we're supposed to be. We are perfect the way we are. <laughs> That doesn't mean we shouldn't approve on who we are. That does not mean we can't recognize our faults. But I, I really believe that we're whole and perfect and that we deserve love and we deserve kindness and patience and respect to ourselves. Um, and I believe when you do that and you decide that you're done hating yourself and you're done putting everyone else's needs above your own and you start to truly authentically love yourself, everything else just gets so much easier. <laughs> no, that doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles, but it gets so much easier. So moving on to um, back. Sorry, we're going to just stick a sweep back here. Um, <laughs> that's going to happen a lot in this podcast and future podcasts. I I think I've already told you, but maybe I didn't. I'm a neurodivergent woman. I have ADHD and I will constantly go off on rabbit trails, but they always do hop their way back onto the main trail. So hopefully I can stick to this topic. Um so in a toddler, this can look like um, saying, so in a toddler, um, this can look like having to say no to one thing, but say yes to something else. Um, so again, babies, informed consent, it's almost non-existent, but toddlers, they're just starting to have that autonomy. So we can use what skills they've developed so far be able to communicate and make choices um, so that they can get better and better at making choices and be confident in their choices and also know how to take responsibility for their choices. So for toddlers, um, this can be as simple as what you plate on their food um, because every single meal is an opportunity for informed consent with your child. Um, you can offer fruits and vegetables and a favorite treat of theirs and a protein. And then your toddler, every single meal, 
has the opportunity to say yes or no to things. Um, and that is such a beautiful experience, but, um, I want to, I want to stay focused on the saying no to one thing and yes to another. Um, so in times when you can't give them, um, informed consent and you have to say no, which will be more often than not, especially with a toddler, you know, they want to run into a parking lot and we can't run into a parking lot that is not safe. (laughs) Um, so, you know, with younger toddlers, Um, or even, you know, just neurodivergent toddlers that don't understand what you're saying yet. When you say, no, we can't, you know, run in a parking lot. Um, you, excuse me, you can make it a fun game. Um, so obviously this isn't always, um, an option, but if you are, you know, with another parent or even just that you only have, you know, one child, I know I say you only have one child, but for me, I have four children that are all under the age of eight. Um, well, they're all under the age of seven now, but, um, my oldest is getting to be there. So, um, so when I only have one kid, um, with me, it is only one kid. It is a lot less to manage. Um, and I can focus my attention fully and my two hands fully on that one child. Um, so when you have a toddler and, you know, they want to run out into a parking lot the second you open the car door, um, you know, maybe they've even already figured out the buckle and they just want to take off running. You know, they have those motor skills, but they don't have that cognitive reasoning. Um, so they take off, you know, oop, we bear hug. We never grab arms. We bear hug and, ooh you know, get, get their, get their brain to engage and make it fun. So that this is memorable. Anytime where you can engage the body and the mind at the same time, the child is more likely to remember the experience. Um, and it's going to be in their long-term memory versus just their short term. So, you know, engage that, you know, sensory play, maybe throw them in the air, maybe tickle them, um, you know, just some way to kind of get their attention. And then, Oh, we walk by mommy. We hold mommy's hand. We hold the stroller. Oh, we're going to get in the stroller, whatever you're choosing to do. Um, you know, or, you know, maybe you, uh, baby wear like I do. I love my Tula carrier. Um, that's probably my go-to. Like if, if we're throwing wrecks out there, uh, <laughs> everybody has a favorite, you know, mom item they swear by Tula baby carriers. So nice. So versatile. You can use them pretty young. I think the earliest that I ever wore a kid was like five months or something on them. Um, obviously with an insert at that young, um, you can wear them younger. I hated Tula's though for like the newborn squishy, don't have good, you know, core muscle control yet. Um, if I have to put an insert in there, I'm not going to use it. (laughs) Um, I prefer a ring sling, but Tula's you throw them on your back. You're good to go. Those things buckle. They're so easy once you figure them out. There is a learning curve to baby wearing, but um, once you got it, like, oh, just makes your life so much easier. Like, we've all been somewhere with a stroller where we can't get through, we can't go up a stair, whatever it is, and it is just so inconvenient. And let's just be honest, babies have to be contained sometimes. It's just not safe for them to be running around, doing whatever. Um, Baby carriers are so clutch. Um, And they help with like so much of that caregiving and nurturing and fostering that secure attachment when they're young. Baby wearing is such a good tool to have in your mindful parenting tool belt. (laughs) Um, And I'll probably do a whole podcast on baby wearing because yo girl was obsessed with it when I had my first um, almost seven years ago. (laughs) So I've had seven years and I've read pretty much everything because I'm a nerd. Um, but anyway, back to the whole toddler thing. So, you know, engage your toddler, set a boundary, you know, oh, we're going to do this. Oh, if you try to run off, you know, you're going to have to go in a stroller or you're going to have to go on mama's back. Um, and then always follow through with the boundary. That's one of the most important things when you're setting boundaries with your kids, tell them what the boundary is. If they cross the boundary, you enforce the boundary every single time. Consistency is so important. If you say to a child, if you do this, I'm going to do this. And then you don't do that. One, you devalue your own words. Two, you break the child's trust. Even if it's following through with something they wouldn't like, you're breaking their trust. They don't have trust in your words. 
if you lose trust in your words, you lose a lot of your value in your parenting. So you need to make sure that you are consistent with following through boundaries with your kids. Um, you know, that's, that's such a important part of that secure attachment. Um, but anyway, you know, you set that boundary and you keep them safe. And while it is unfortunate that you have to tell them no, oh, no, we can't run off, you know, in the parking lot. You can't, you can't run, you can't, you know, uh, walk on, you know, the, the mulch or whatever, you know, whatever your, whatever your boundaries are of that. I don't really mind that as much. Um, but I know some parents are like, uh, uh-uh. you know, it, it, that's kind of more personal preference. Um, but when you say no to something, I always try to say yes to something else. Um, so for toddlers, this is hard because they're not always going to understand the words you're saying, um, but you can do it with your actions. So, oh, nope, you know, we can't run off. I'm going to scoop you up, but yes to the playing. We are going to play. You are going to go on my back. Maybe I'll do a couple hops here and there to get get you excited, get you giggling, get this uh, sensory experience for you um, to engage all those parts of your brain that are going to help you Remember, ooh, we like it when we're on mom's back. And ooh, we don't really like it when we're running off because uh, mom kind of gr- grabs us, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Uh, or she says no or, you know, you know. Um, but, you know, in older kids, it's easier. I'll give you a better example. So older toddlers where they do understand they have that um, little bit more reasoning skills. Um, they might say, you know, oh, I want ice cream for lunch. And you're like, No. We're not having ice cream for lunch. We're having, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever I'm serving. Um, But tomorrow when we go to the park, we can get ice cream. Would you like that? And I always like to add the would you like that? Because it gives your kids... um, It gives your kids... Con- not confidence. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Hold on. It gives your kids, um, well, it gives your kids a say is what it is, but I'm trying to say it lets them know that what they want matters. It lets them know that their preferences are important and it lets them know that they matter. Um, that's what I'm trying to say. It lets them know they matter. It gives them the value that they're looking for kids are seeking value they're seeking connection they're seeking to know the things that we all are born knowing we know that we're loved and we're valuable and we're worthy and we deserve rest and we deserve patience and kindness Um, but we slowly unlearn those things and we learn false truths about ourselves that affect our parenting that you know we might believe that we're stupid or that, you know, we're lazy or that we don't try hard enough or whatever it is. We all have those voices in our head that might not even be the literal voice in our head, but it's the subconscious voice in our head behind our thoughts, which is like way going into the psyche. But um, when you understand psychology and how the brain works and we will talk about that in another podcast you'll understand why you form these beliefs and why you have certain behaviors and then how to unlearn them and reparent yourself Um, and when you do that and you choose to not believe those lies about yourself and you choose to believe your truths that you are worthy and deserving of love and rest and patience and kindness and humanity you deserve to be a human you are choosing to love yourself and when you love yourself you understand yourself and you have empathy for yourself and then you are able to extend that to the rest of the world and I think that is so beautiful I really do um moving on (laughs) so with toddlers when we say no to one thing and yes to another in the older toddlers no you can't have ice cream uh, but we can play a game after you eat um would you like that does that sound like fun does that sound like a good idea to you and you know I almost always get an enthusiastic yes but sometimes I do get a no not really (laughs) and then I say well what's something that would make this more enjoyable or what's something that you want to do that I can help you do that can help you 
be okay with us not having ice cream. You know, however I want to word it. It usually comes out more fluently when I'm having the natural conversation with my child. But, you know, it's been a long day and I'm tired. My brain's not really in the podcast mood. And I already recorded this once, actually. And so if I repeat things or if it sounds like all chopped up, that's why I actually deleted half of the podcast. So I had to go back and record the whole thing. So here we are. Um... But yeah, so when you do that and you let your child have that autonomy and that say, you're teaching them that they matter, you're teaching them that their choices matter, you're giving them more autonomy over their life. And when they're able to make these small choices like this again and again and again throughout their early childhood, it helps them be able to make those big choices later in life with confidence. And it also helps them take responsibility for their choices. So this is a really, really big thing that a lot of parents mess up in the teen years. And I see it all the time. I, it was in my childhood. It was in pretty much every childhood that I look at, like, you know, from people telling me their stories and experiences, me reading about stories and experiences from people. It is a common problem in parenting teenagers that we just don't understand I actually watched this beautiful video I think it was some like Buddhist who like is also like a parent educator I don't even remember I watched it on Facebook like a couple years ago but I it stuck with me because I thought oh my god if we all understood this we could have such better relationships you know that parenting relationship could be so much more beautiful and we could really enjoy the years where our kid is a teenager and our teenager could really enjoy their teenage years. When we realize that they are a person that is all themselves, they are not an extension of us, but we realize they are also not quite an adult and they need our guidance. Our relationship with them gets so much better. Our children are not a product of us. They, you know, we might think that because we think quite literally we made them. You know, we chose to procreate or adopt or whatever it is. However, you brought your child into your family um, and you chose your child. (laughs) You think that you made your child a part of your family. And so you created this child, but you, this child is not you. (laughs) They're not an extension of you. They're not a product. They are their own individual person that has their own decisions to make and their own life to live. And you are not supposed to be living through them. You are not supposed to be, you know, making sure that they don't do any of the mistakes you did. That's not their journey here. Their journey here is to learn everything they can about this world and to grow and become the best versions of themselves. And I really believe that's why we're here. We are here to learn lessons. Our whole life is just lesson after lesson after lesson and most of it is just learning to let go and control the parts of us that we do have control over which is ourselves (laughs) we have control over ourselves we don't have control over our emotions that's a misconception we do not control our emotions but we do control how we channel and project emotions so that we'll get into that probably later Maybe in this podcast, maybe in the next one. I don't know. This one's getting kind of lengthy, so I might cut it, cut it down. <laughs> um, but when we realize that that's all we have control over, that is, that is life. That's, that's life. That's why we're here. I really believe that. And if you hold that to be a fundamental truth, you will understand why it's so important to, in the teen years... Let them make pretty much every decision that they can make. And that sounds subjective, but it's not. It's, it's, if your child, you know, doesn't have a learning disability, developmental disability that does not allow them to be the age of making those decisions, if they go into that doctor's office and they don't want you back there, you don't go back there. That's, that's their appointment. That's their healthcare appointment. Um, you know, there's going to be a day where you're going to be sitting outside the waiting room and you have no idea what's going back there. And you just have to hope and pray that everything that you've taught them this far has prepared them for this opportunity. Um, that they can find their voice 
um, and tell their doctor any concerns they have. Um, and also to be able to make good informed consent decisions, um, without you there because it's their body, it's their life, it's their choice. They have that choice. You are not supposed to make their choices. If you make their choices for them, they will resent you for it, A. <laughs> and B, they won't get in that um, experience of being able to make those decisions that will help them make those really, really big decisions like your career and who you want to marry and if you want to get married and if you want children those are big decisions and people oftentimes don't know how to make those decisions and will end up you know paralyzing in fear because you know either their parents decided everything for them or their parents literally never guided them with the situation that's another um, example that we see on the opposite side of the pendulum um, where parents literally said figure it out it's your life. I'm not going to make your decisions for you. When, you know, a kid's asking for advice. I I will never understand that because that was such a beautiful opportunity for connection that you could have had with your kid. When your kid asks you, Mom, I don't know what to do about this. Or Dad, I I need help. I I I need I need your guidance. I need your wisdom. What do you think? Um, and you have an opportunity to share life experiences that you've went through, you know, share knowledge that they might not have about that situation, share insight about what you think might be going on behind, you know, the surface, you know, under the surface, behind the scenes kind of situation where your kid might not see because, you know, they're so narrowed down to one experience that maybe this decision isn't big at all. And, you know, you can tell them, you know, whatever you do, it, it probably isn't going to make a huge outcome. Um, but, you know, always try to offer something. If you just dismiss them, you've missed out on that opportunity for connection. And you've also told them that you don't care about what they choose. And a lot of the times when we do that to kids and we say, whatever, do what you want. You know, we're not just saying do what you want. We're saying, and we, I, it is not... I know it's not what you're meaning to do, but what you're doing is telling your kid, I don't care what you do. I don't care about you. And obviously this is not an intentional, I don't care about you. This is unintentional, but it is, it is going to be what they hear. They're going to hear, I don't care about you. And that is really hard in those teen years because teens, even more so than small children need connection and love. They need to know that they matter because they are hearing all the time from their traumatized peers that they don't matter and that they're not good enough. You know, oh, you're not pretty enough to date. I don't want to be friends with you. You're not cool enough. You don't wear right the hair. They're getting rejected 24-7 and you need to be the one safe space where they can talk. You need to be that safe person. You need to be that security. You need to be that guiding wisdom and love. You need to be that non-judgmental voice of reason that is here to guide them through life and that can be really hard because their lives quite literally affect ours all the time you know as they're teenagers I see this all the time with uh, my friends and family that have uh, teenage kids um, where their kid you know maybe their kid wants to pick up a new sport or maybe they drop a sport and you're like man I just spent money on that or oh I don't have money for that and that can be really frustrating especially with financial means but when it comes down to it at the end of the day we shouldn't force anything on our kids for financial gain uh, for pretty obvious reasons. Um, that is, it's wrong. <laughs> our kids are worth more than money. And yes, we need to live and we need to put food on the table. But at the same time, don't push your kids to do things that they don't want to do. If they, you know, joined, you know, a sport, say track or you know, soccer, cheerleading, and then they decide, you know, maybe they don't like the people there. You're like, maybe, you know, maybe everyone's mean to them. Maybe they're just a bunch of jerks. They're just like, no, I don't want to go to that. Do not force your kid to do that. No, that is not a good idea. You should never force somebody to stay in a situation or a place where they're not welcome, where they're not accepted and they're not loved. 
And some people will say, well, that's not teaching them resilience. And yes, it is actually, because part of being resilient is having the decision-making capability to know when a place isn't good for you. And this can be especially hard in our capitalistic society where we're told we should always have another job lined up before we quit a job. Um, We should always, you know, leave on good terms. We don't want to burn bridges, but you know what? Some bridges are meant to be burnt. If a workplace is toxic and it is affecting your mental health daily, it is getting to the point where you are going to break. <laughs> you know, we've, I think we've all been there at a job. We've all worked some crappy job where we were not valued. Maybe we weren't paid enough. Maybe we were just constantly told we weren't doing good at it. Maybe we were constantly criticized. And some jobs you were even abused at. If you are abused at a job, leave. And you should always encourage your kid anywhere that they are being abused to leave. You don't stick that out. You don't teach your kids to stay in suffering in silence and suck it up. That is awful parenting. That is not mindful. That is not gentle. That is not loving. That is hateful parenting. And that might hurt some feelings, but it needs to be said because that's what it is. Whether intention is there or not, that is hateful to make any child stay where they don't feel welcome. Now, back to the whole teenager thing. So you you need to give them autonomy, um, and that is a big part of gentle parenting. But it, when it comes down to it, that trickles down all the way to babies. All the way to babies. They're their own person. They're becoming. They're an individual. They're not an extension of you. They're not a reflection of you. And the sooner we realize that these children don't belong to us, <laughs> they are not ours. They may have came from us, you know, quite physically, you know, in birth and in carrying them and feeding them, um, and whatever else, but they are not ours and they've never belonged to us. They belong to themselves. They have autonomy. They deserve to be allowed to make choices that will affect their life. And if you don't give them that, they will rebel (laughs) Or they will suffer. And quite possibly both. (laughs) So. And you'll even see this in toddlers. People are like, my toddler is just pushing my boundaries. Are they pushing your boundaries? Or are they rebelling because they feel like they don't have enough choices? (laughs) I'm actually going to say that again. Are they rebelling? Are they pushing your boundaries or are they rebelling against you because you're not giving them enough choices? When people feel like they don't have control over their lives, they're going to push. This is something I struggle with with my kids, especially my very strong-willed daughter. People love to use strong-willed, but what it is is it's a child (laughs) who feels like they are very intelligent and can handle more than you're giving them. And they want freedom. They want to be able to make those choices. They want that autonomy. They think they're smart enough. And sometimes they are. Sometimes you're holding your child back. And you need to work with your child. And even if a parenting book says, you know, developmentally, they blah, blah, blah. We know kids develop at different rates. If you know that your child is ready for whatever additional responsibility, give them it. Give them the choice. Um, But if you also notice that once you give them that choice, they're not able to handle the consequences, maybe pull back on that. Um, And that can look like, I'll give an example with ice cream. You know, you take your child to Baskin Robbins, Cold Stone, whatever, an, an ice cream place, and you let them pick whatever they want. Well, your child wants to try something new. And they're like, ooh, I want this pink ice cream, this unicorn ice cream. And you're like, hmm, you've never tried unicorn ice cream. This is the dialogue that's maybe going on in your head. I hope you'll like it. (laughs) Because, you know, you're maybe imagining, if you're like me and you have anxiety, you're imagining, oh God, we're going to have a meltdown, we're going to scream, we're going to cry, we're going to beg for somebody else's ice cream, we're going to say we hate this ice cream, we might spit it, like, oh nightmare but um you have to keep yourself under wraps so that you can allow your kid to explore and let them order a different flavor so they order the unicorn ice cream and they hate it (laughs) just as you may have predicted and you're like and then your child is upset um 
for a while, my instinct would be get them a different ice cream. That's a simple fix, but that doesn't allow them to take responsibility for their choices. We need to give our kids responsibility and accountability for their choices very young and realize that they're the ones that are in control of their lives. When you do this, they're able to handle that accountability for bigger things in the future and they are also given that more autonomy and realize that they have more choice in their life and they will become less strong-willed because kids who push back are pushing back um, where there's a boundary where they feel like they are more intelligent than the boundary. Um, So if they're saying, you know, I won't go to bed right now because I think I know the consequences of staying up late Um, and maybe they do, maybe they don't. (laughs) And if they don't, sometimes you can let them fall a little bit. So with the ice cream example, if they order the unicorn ice cream and then they don't like it, um, I'm sorry, mommy bought this unicorn ice cream. I'm not going to buy another ice cream. You made the choice for that ice cream. I understand, you know, make that connection. I understand how it feels to choose something that we thought we were going to like. And then it turns out that we didn't like it. I can understand. Maybe you're feeling disappointed. Maybe you're feeling angry at yourself maybe you're feeling sad that you know now you don't get to enjoy the ice cream that you thought you were going to have um but what I've learned is the more you let them figure it out themselves (laughs) in these sort of situations sometimes the more intelligent they get Uh, my kids will if they pick the wrong thing they'll start bartering with each other like oh brother I'll give you this ice cream. I'll give you a bite of mine if you give me a bite of yours. And they're like, yeah, let's swap. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, look at that opportunity for growth and decision-making and problem-solving that wouldn't have been there had I been a hoverer and refused to let my child grow and make a mistake. We can't spare our children from mistakes. They're going to make mistakes. But when you allow them to make little mistakes like this and learn how to do the cleanup themselves um, and, you know, give them that autonomy, they will then be able to be more confident and be able to handle those bigger decisions and bigger choices. All parenting is really just small scale tests to work them up to bigger scale life choices and life decisions and life actions Um, and when we equip our kids with the right tool and we do it empathy based and child based, you're, you're going to, you're going to do a great job being a parent and you're going to have a great kid. (laughs) And by great, I don't mean, you know, they're going to cure cancer or they're going to be the smartest or they're going to be the strongest, the fastest, whatever. I mean, they're going to be great in that they're going to be emotionally great. They're going to be really intelligent where it matters intelligent, where it comes to problem solving, resilience, true resilience and not suffering. (laughs) And I think that's really what gentle and mindful parenting is all about. It's all about giving your kids as much responsibility as they can handle that's developmentally appropriate so that when they get to those bigger ages, they can make those decisions. Um, And also making sure that, you know, we're encouraging their growth as often as we can because again like I said there are times where they can't make decisions and we have to make them for them um and there's even times where we have to clean up their mistakes (laughs) if uh, a child goes to pour a drink by themselves and they make a big mess um, a lot of times at a younger age uh, they can't clean up that mess (laughs) or even you know when they're older this is a big problem that I see with parents are like oh my kids don't clean up well you have to teach them to clean up and You might not understand this, but you have to teach them how to clean up even if you've already taught them how to clean up because if there's a different step that they have to take, it can become overwhelming and their brains quite literally can't categorize how to start the task, especially with kids with neurodivergence. I have, you know, a daughter that I'm pretty sure has ADHD, two autistic boys, um, executive functioning is not their strong suit. So... When I break down tasks, I will say, okay, we're going to do this. First, we're going to do this. 
So let's start. Don't worry about the rest. I know it seems overwhelming. We're just going to do this and I'm going to help you. And you know, slowly you start to back off and slowly they get better at it. So um, with their cleaning their room, um, you know, the kids will play in there. They'll make a story is what they call it. And they'll have like, you know, some Pokemon out, some Minecraft plushies, uh, some Legos, some wooden blocks, whatever. They've got like 20 different toys out that all go in different bins. And so I'll say, okay, you know, son, you clean up the Legos. Daughter, you pick up the Pokemon. All right, let's go. Who can clean up the fastest? You know, make it fun, <laughs> make make it engaging. Um, if you teach kids how to make a game out of pretty much any chore, they will never feel like they're doing chores. Um, and this is something you should do as a parent too. Make your chores fun. You know, this is part of reparenting. A lot of times we were just told, go do your chores because that's what you were supposed to do. Well, that makes us resentful, makes us not want to do the chores, doesn't give us any dopamine for those of us that are... Uh, of the neurodivergent folk and it makes it really hard to keep up on those tasks so when I listen to a podcast um or listen to music and I'm singing or maybe I'm just thinking um along with doing the task it doesn't feel like I'm doing the task it feels like I'm doing the other thing and the other you know you know I'm I'm just listening to music I'm just you know singing I'm just listening to a podcast And the dishes are just like kind of being done while I'm doing that. Like I'm just doing that while I'm doing this. But the dishes aren't the main focus. If you can trick your brain, you can get a lot more done. (laughs) And, you know, teach your kids the same skills that you're learning when you're reparenting. Um, And vice versa. If you learn something, you realize that worked really good for my kid. Try that for you. Be gentle with yourself and realize that we're all just really big children. (laughs) We're all just really big, especially those of us with trauma. We're really just children. Because we had to spend so many of those early childhood years surviving that we didn't get to grow. We didn't get that chance to learn these really helpful skills and decision making and you know, emotional intelligence and resilience. We didn't get to learn these skills because we were just busy trying to cater to our parent and guardian's needs and emotions um, and repressing all of ours. <laughs> so be kind to yourself. As reparenting is really hard. Um, so I just want to end. I'll just kind of wrap it up. So I think I've pretty much touched on what mind of mindful parenting is. Um, in my next podcast, I will probably get into how to heal your trauma. <laughs> um, or at least to start because God knows healing is a journey and it is not a destination. I think a lot of us get that mixed up. Um But it's not a one and done thing. It's a you continuously notice patterns of behaviors that you have. Figure out why you do them. And then figure out how to not do them. And how to do something else instead. Um, But yeah, mindful parenting is just child-centered parenting. Where you use empathy and love to help your child reach their best potential. And it quite literally is the most effective parenting. And the only reason people don't choose this is because it's hard and because it is a lot of work on ourselves even and dismantling beliefs we might not even have realized we had um and that that breaking of our false reality can that can actually really hurt people so you should probably get a therapist (laughs) if if you're in denial that you're broken and you have trauma you know, if you think you don't have trauma, you need to see a therapist because that is just straight up denial. Every single person in this entire universe has trauma, whether you realize it or not. Trauma doesn't have to be some life-altering event. Trauma is lots of little things that happen to us that change our brain to survive and not to thrive. So, yep, that's it for my first podcast. Um, let me know if there's any other topics that you want me to talk about. If there's anything you're interested in or learning more about, if you have any questions, I would love to address them in future podcasts and I'll see you next time.